Radio.net, around the world and on satellite. Gregory, and we're going to talk about the kingdom of God. On Blog Talk Radio this morning, I mentioned the ecclesia, the called out, the church. We translate that word ecclesia into church. It really doesn't matter what we translate it into as long as we understand the meaning of that word. We've talked uh, for the last few days on this idea of the guidelines, which is a way in which to create this church, this altar of God, this, this institution of Christ. And we know that the church was established by Christ for his purposes, to promote his precepts. And we know, of course, that Christ's precepts are God's precepts. And we know that Moses was a prophet of God and Abraham was a prophet of God. So therefore, whatever it is that Christ created would have a similarity to what Moses and Abraham were creating. But when we look back in history through the eyes of historians, we get a picture of what went before based upon what people have told us what people have demonstrated as the way of Abraham, the way of Moses. They have taken the Hebrew language, translated it, and explained to us what that that means. The reality is they haven't told us the truth. We have gone to the Pharisees and said, what does this mean? How does this work? What, what are they saying here? What are they doing here? And the Pharisees had it wrong. We know that because Christ said the Pharisees have it wrong. So what did they miss? What did they distort? What did they twist? What did they tell us that is simply not true? Once you get into the history of the time of Christ, you begin to understand what was really going on. What was the temple? It was a government building. It was built by Herod the Great. It was built with funds that Herod the Great collected from the people because the people signed up to a system, a scheme, a social scheme offered by Herod the Great to guarantee their social welfare. And it was an expansion upon some of the changes that had been made by the Hasmoneans several hundred years before. During that same period of time at the Hasmoneans, for almost 300 years before Christ even came, there was a group called the Essenes, and we have a very distorted view of what the Essenes were doing. What were they doing? What were the Essenes? The Essenes were a multicultural group. They extended all over the Roman Empire, and they had a lot of different ideas. But there were certain precepts and principles that kept appearing in the writings of Essenes. They were very educated. They were very hardworking. They were very honest. The Romans talk about the Essenes having such honor that you could take the word of an Essene, even if you would not take an oath, over that of a Pharisee or almost anybody else who did take an oath. That was a characteristic of the Essene, that they were absolutely truthful. They also uh, would not take oaths. That was a very common thing. They did not want to take oaths. They did not swear. 
they took care of their own needy in their own society. They were actually so charitable in the nature of their society, they had a surplus to help other people outside of the Essene societies. Now, Essene societies, of course, they had their ministers. Some of them were Levites, and they took care of one another through that. But there were also uh, whole groups and communities that surrounded themselves or surrounded the Essenes and looked to the Essenes. One of the mottos of the Essenes was, knock and the door shall be open to you. That was a common phrase found amongst the Essene writings. They led simple lives. They often were very industrious and profitable. They actually had more treasure usually in their community, but it was dispersed amongst the people, not a centralized banking system or centralized money distribution system. It was in the prosperity of your neighbor that you found the greatest riches. They did not have anything to do with the animal sacrifice of the Pharisees in the temple. They said that that was a fiction and a fraud. They said the interpretation of the Pharisees was incorrect. They read the same Torah. They spoke the same Hebrew. But they found error in what the Pharisees were doing and what they were uh, thinking and saying yet. Still, even many of the Pharisees respected the Essenes. There is a certain amount of evidence that John the Baptist was raised by the Essenes, and he was a part community. And we also know that uh, there was a great deal of intrigue at that time because there was a question as who should be the king in Jerusalem because there was no king in Jerusalem when Herod the Great died. Uh, he'd had his own son executed. And while he had one son, uh, Herod Antipas, who was king in Judea, and he had another one, Philip, he had, there was no king sitting on the throne in Jerusalem. And the fact is, uh, according to historians, Herod had promised that kingdom to the Messiah when he was a young man before he had any prospects of becoming king of Judea. He wasn't rightfully the king of Judea. He was foreign-born. He was of another nation. And you could not pick a king who was of another nation. But yet, still, they picked him as a king. They couldn't pick Caesar as their king either. And yet, that is exactly what the Pharisees did. They rejected Christ and said, we have no king but Caesar. But you have to remember the Pharisees were not all the people in Judea. They were a faction at the altar. In the book Thy Kingdom Come, we go over that. We explain how different the Sadducees were from the, and how different both were from the Essenes, their factions. But they didn't even engage, and they played a very prominent role in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and even all throughout the Roman Empire. They uh, they didn't hold much in political office, partially because they would not take oath, partially because they would not exercise authority one over the other. All these precepts that were common amongst them, we find in the gospel of the kingdom preached by Christ. Was Christ in a scene? Christ was Christ. Did he have a scene influences? No, but there was definitely an agreement between what many Essenes were saying and what Christ was saying, just as there was definitely a disagreement between what Christ was saying and what the Pharisees were saying and what the Essenes were saying and the Pharisees were saying. So what is the church? Where were the first church members coming from? Would they come from the Pharisees? Some probably did. Some probably even came from the Sadducees. Some even came from the Zealots, all different factions. Some Pharisees became Zealots and were still considering, considering themselves Pharisees. This is all part of the intrigue of the time, the political philosophies, the uh, disagreements. 
And it gives you a little bit of a picture, but you can't put anybody in one particular slot necessarily because people are more complex than that. But understanding it's the same today. I mean, can you be a Christian and a Democrat? Because of the socialistic nature of uh, the present democratic platform? It would be very hard to give a good excuse that you love your neighbor and still want to be a socialist and force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare, even though you know that what uh, should have been for your welfare could become a snare, even though you know you should not covet thy neighbor's goods, even though you know you should not be like the governments of the Gentiles who have men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. How can you be a socialist and say that you are doing what Christ said? You can't. Yet there are many socialists who think they are Christians, followers of Christ. You cannot be both. But can you be a Christian and be a Republican? You have to remember that the, when the voice of the people elected Saul, who was a pretty good guy, that was a rejection of God. Can you reject God and accept Christ? I think not. So Christ called out certain men because he was going to take the kingdom away from the Pharisees who were sitting in the government building of the temple and give that kingdom to those who would bear fruit. How did they bear fruit? They learned to live by faith, hope, and charity. Very redundant concept, but it is a concept that needs to be repeated more. And it needs to be repeated in every aspect of your life. It is very important that you repeat it in every aspect of your life. So he called out a group, just like Moses called out the Levites, and he said, you guys are going to be serving the tents of the cavern, uh, tabernacle, or the tents of the congregation, which is the tabernacle of the congregation. Same word, tents, tabernacle. We would translate that concept of the tents of the congregation today is the homes of the congregation. Remember when they, Israel was asking um, for a king. First time Samuel sends them back to their tent. And the second time when they, they come back and he tells them what you're going to get, you're going to get a government that's going to take the first fruits of your labor. You're going to get a government that takes the best of your fields. You're going to get a government that appoints men to rule over you. You're going to get a government that makes instruments of war and take your sons and run before your chariots, uh, their chariots, and then you're going to take your daughters to serve them. And you will cry out in that day, and I will not hear you. That was the warning of Samuel back in Samuel 8. And they said, right, give us a king anyway. Can you believe these people? But they're still doing it today. They're, and that was called a rejection of God, and they're still rejecting God today, and they're saying, give us a king that's going to solve all our problems. I was uh, sitting next to an electrician trying to help out a neighbor who uh, was uh, lost his pump. And uh, I was talking, of course, with me it takes about, 20 seconds and I'm talking the kingdom and I'm asking him about you know things in the news and he's saying you know we need to start taking care of ourselves we need to stop looking to government to solve every one of our problems this is an electrician out here in the desert he knows it you all know it do you know you can do it do you believe you can do it to take care of yourself and not need the governments of the world the benefactors or the men who call themselves benefactors you can actually do a better job yourself, but you need to come together. And you need help doing this, and you'll need ministers. Like now, your ministers work down at the IRS and the welfare office and the uh, uh, Social Security office. Those are your ministers. Those, that's how you take care of your needy of your society. You need another set of ministers who are really, truly titular, as a republic should be, and simply have what you give them to take care of the needy of your society. That's a long ways away from where you are today. And it's going to take some learning to turn around and head back that other way. And if you don't head back that other way, you will remain in bondage. If you do head back that other way, God will run out and meet you halfway. God will bring his power 
between you and the armies of Pharaoh on the shores of the Red Sea before he sets you free. But you need to start walking with the ways of God, setting the table of the Lord. Start looking towards the Corban of Christ that makes the word of God to effect rather than the Corban of the Pharisees who makes the word of God to none effect. So we've been talking about this church created by Christ, this group of men who come out for the purposes of helping bring you together in the ways of Christ so that you can walk that straight and narrow path. So we, we went through the first 10 and we touched on the 11th guideline. And the 11th guideline says, his church and sacred purpose trust, remember the guidelines are talking about a trust because when you give your offering, your free will offering, you're creating a trust, but it's a certain kind of trust. It's irrevocable because it's a burnt offering. You give it up entirely. You cast your bread upon the waters. You can't leave a hook in it. So you create this irrevocable, sacred purpose trust. In other words, this funds or object or sheep or whatever it is that you're laying on the altar is given up entirely for the purposes of Christ, which was what? Feed my sheep, love one another. So the purpose of giving that sacrifice must be love, not to get out of taxes, not to uh, buy your way into the kingdom. It has to be for love of one another. So his church and sacred purpose trust, Christ's purpose trust, is not an investment trust and its purpose is to serve rather than be served because why it's better to serve than to be served this includes but is not limited to his church does not seek to collect interest to engage in commercial enterprises to obtain gain to uh, speculate value fluctuations for profit nor to hoard a great treasure of wealth of the world, but rather to return every man unto his possession and shall return every man unto his family, for it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now that principle of giving rather than receiving is very Essene. It is very Christian. It is very Christ. We hear the parable talking about that. What is better to sit at meat? or to serve these are important concepts and they must be a part of your church an intense part of your church not just some philosophical doctrine of believing in Christ but believing in what Christ said and believing so much in what he said that you actually do it so in 12 it says a minister of trust is not allowed to derive any personal benefit from his church altar, but they may pay for general and specific expenses incurred in the performance of their duties from the general fund of the altar. Now, there were many people who worked at the altar of Moses, same also in the days of Abraham. The, the altars Abraham was setting up and the altars that Moses was setting up were living altars. You were living stones of the, or you were a clay altar. And that was every man and every family it was a clay altar. We all owe that. And the sacrifices we make to the good of others around us is a part of that sacrifice we make upon us. But the stone altars are specific ministers who have dedicated their lives towards the purposes of Christ. And it was very important that the Levites, when they came out, that they had no personal estate. They literally owned all things in common. And this was because they were still in Egypt jurisdiction and they needed this body of representatives who could receive their offerings and then redistribute it amongst the people. And it was the job of the people to make sure that the men that they picked were doing a good job. And if they didn't, you didn't tithe to them anymore because you only tithe to them according to their service. No service, no tithe. And service to who? Service to you? No service to your neighbor. Because you love your neighbor as yourself. Not just, oh, well, he didn't give me anything this week. That's not important. 
Did he give the needy something this week? Did he help out your society? Did he give to the needy in a way that made them stronger? Help them out when they actually really needed help. This is government. This is the way the church is supposed to be operating. This is what the church is supposed to be doing. But instead, it's off lollygagging. And uh, a friend from England, he used to love that word when he heard me say it, lollygagging. But the point is, is the church is asleep and has put the other people of the world asleep and delivered all those people who say they believe in Christ back into the bondage of Egypt because they have not attended to the work of the kingdom. Now, we'll talk later about commission ministers, licensed ministers, and ordained ministers. And those are modern terms that are expressing something that we see in the Old Testament and the precept upon precept. But we know the Levites could take of the offerings for their own personal benefit. But the Levites were these ordained ministers. And the apostles could do the same. But they were ordained ministers. There were other ministers, we sometimes refer to them as deacons or what have you, that may not be ordained ministers, but they're still doing the work. And they may be given some bread to go deliver. Well, they can't take a bunch of that home. You know, they might be able to eat of it while they're in the process of delivering it because just like you, you could pay for your gas as you take something to the needy, your those are particular expenses, but you were doing the service in assisting the ordained minister. The ordained minister owned all things in common. That's who owned all things in common. We have to return every man to his possessions and every man to his family. That The people of the kingdom don't own all things in common. A concept we've repeated over and over again but we blur these lines and we take all these quotes from the Bible and we apply them to everybody and they don't apply to everybody loving one another that applies to everybody but some men were given a job to do to be the altar of Christ those stones of the altar without losing their individual uh, choice they're not hewn stones. They're unhewn stone. These are precepts that were true with the Levites and true with the ministers of the kingdom of God that Abraham was setting up, which has been here from the beginning. The kingdom of God is everlasting. It's from generation to generation. And everybody has their role to play in that kingdom. Number 13, the granters of his church sacred trust do not have control over the distribution of the funds, but they may make requests that granted funds go to particular needs and desires of the beneficiary. The beneficiary, again, is Christ. They must give up control over. They cannot say, well, here's money to the church. Now I'm going to go join the church board and tell you how you get to spend it. If you do that, it's not sacred. It's not separate. It's it's a grantor trust. It's very, and the world can attach it and regulate it because it's a trust of the world. Because some of the congregation may be very much of the world. You need a group of men who are not of the world that handles this part of the job of the government of God. And we'll tell more about that when we return. You're listening to FirstAmendmentRadio.com Worldwide. Freedom is never free. We need your support today at FirstAmendmentRadio.com.
Gold and silver is tremendously undervalued. Global demand vastly exceeds mine supply by more than 60% annually. There is little in the financial world more certain than a coming explosion in the prices of gold and silver. The U.S. dollar continues to lose value and respect as the world's reserve currency. Our nation faces challenges on many fronts, and a day doesn't pass without another economist bringing forth warnings of impending economic calamity. There has never been a better time than right now to acquire physical gold and silver. Discount Gold and Silver Trading was founded on the principles of truth and honesty. We believe in providing a quality product, quality service, and most importantly, competitive pricing. We provide all forms of precious metals, including American gold, silver, and rare investment and circulated coins. Silver bars, rounds, and 90% silver bags are on hand for the silver investor. Gold self-directed IRAs are available. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. Toll free, that's 1-800-375-4188. If you read the history books, the most often asked question to Southerners was this, why did you fight? And the most often given answer is, because you're here. In other words, the South did not invade the North, the North invaded the South. Was it the Civil War or War of Federal Aggression? John Weaver sets the record straight in this DVD series on the Civil War from the Old Past Christian History Conference. Was there a war to set the slaves free? Or was it a war to enslave us all? Get this DVD and judge for yourself. War of Federal Aggression. Get this DVD presentation for a donation of $25 from FirstAmendmentRadio.com. Order online today at FirstAmendmentRadio.com. Call 559-781-3773. The truth seems strange only because we've been indoctrinated with a fiction. War of Federal Aggression. Get it today. Hi, Nicholas here. I used to lug those big jugs to the market to fill with water from those coin-operated filter machines. 25 cents a gallon or 5 gallons for a buck. I used to. Then I got the big Berkey. Now I save my back and hundreds of dollars too. I was paying $600 for the same 3,000 gallons of water that a pair of black Berkey filters will provide from my own tap for only $99. This means that your Berkey water system will entirely pay for itself with only 1,500 gallons of use. And then you will still have 1,500 gallons left before you need to replace the filters. Do the math. Stop throwing your money away on bottled water and filter dispensers that may or may not be delivering as promised. Call us at 559-781-3773 for more information. Leave your name and address and we'll send you this special offer. Do it now. First Amendment Radio is an authorized distributor of Berkey products. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom, and we're going to give you a couple of announcements. We're having a retreat starting this week, and uh, that retreat will be out here in Summer Lake. Uh, It's mostly a camping retreat. Uh, There's an RV park here. There's a lot of places where you can camp free. Uh, There's a lake. There's uh, boating, fishing, uh, thousands of square miles of uh, forest and high desert area to hike in or whatever you want to do and we will have lots of meetings talking about the kingdom what we can do and how we can move in the direction of the kingdom because that's what we were supposed to do turn around and move in that direction uh, seek to walk that way and we have the opportunity for a lot of fellowship we've already had uh, Mark show up from Australia Uh, we've got other people coming from uh, South Carolina and New York, I think they're already in the area, uh, and Idaho and California, and of course Oregon and Colorado and Wisconsin. Uh, I can't, I, I probably are other people and I don't know who they are. So anyway, you can come there. Uh, we'll uh, try to, we can accommodate thousands of people, but. Uh, uh, We'll have lots of meetings, lots of talks, lots of campfire talks, some displays of uh, different types of uh, information to educate us in many different areas and arenas. And uh, we hope to have a good time. Uh, so if you want to come, it's uh, next weekend. Uh, we'll be in full swing. Uh, some are showing up on the 20th and 23rd, uh, 24th, 25th, and 26th are the main days. So we'll see you then. And uh, 
hopefully uh, we'll have a great time at the retreat and uh, looks like the weather will hold and uh, we'll uh, all be there together. So come on out and uh, we'll, we'll share as much as we can with you. Okay, we're, we're talking about uh, some of the different uh, aspects of the guidelines. There's 20 basic guidelines, and we were on 13, that the offerings that you give must be given entirely. Now, you keep in this government of God, you always keep your right to decide whether to give or not. You never give away your right to choose whether or not to give. All other governments throughout the world once you join them, you must give according to what they tell you to give or they beat you or they punish you. And the government of God doesn't work that way. The government of God says you give what you can afford, what you think is right. It is your choice. The power of choice remains with you. The liberty remains with you. And, of course, you must give that liberty to the others that congregate together with you because you are free souls under God. And if you don't have a governmental system in place, which is what the church is supposed to be, that receives those granted gifts entirely, then you, and yet you still maintain, then you don't really have the kingdom of God. You don't have a government sanctioned by God. You have a government that will punish the wicked. Who are the wicked? Those who covet their neighbor's goods. And they will find themselves snared in the net of their own making. And that's what most governments are, is they're a, they're a net in which they bring you in and bind you in that net. Now, some people will, who are in the system world today in many different countries will say, you know, this starts to make some will say, you know, they don't even believe in God. They don't believe in creation. They don't believe in Christ. They don't believe in anything, but they want their benefits. And they will probably want to persecute you. And so, therefore, if you move towards the direction of the kingdom, you must do it in a righteous fashion. Your righteousness must exceed theirs. You must really walk in the ways of Christ because you're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit that comes with that walking in the of Christ in order to survive whatever is coming in the world today. Because you will be opposed by those people of the world who become jealous and envious of your liberty and they'll come in and try to spy out your liberty and they'll try to take it from you so you need that power of the holy spirit in order to sustain yourself through the trials and tribulations from following the ways of christ the ways of moses the ways of abraham and it's funny you have all these different religions like jews and muslims and even the hindus who all reach back to the days of Abraham and most reach back to the days of Moses including the Christians and they aren't doing the same thing they, as a matter of fact they're doing the exact opposite which we went over in the previous program so let's look at number 14 the value and property held by his church altar which is this sacred purpose trust and church are held in common to be used as needed for the benefit of Jesus Christ because he is the beneficiary and in preservation and propagation of his doctrines and ordinances including but not limited to the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom of God on earth and the healing of those who are not whole according to the perfect law of liberty now there are this idea of healing, they use the word grievous sore in Revelations. We see that in relationship to the mark of the beast. And, and that word grievous uh, is a very interesting word because it uh, has to do with being full of labors. Uh, it is actually translated, I think, evil in some place or uh, that God wants us to be. Or Christ talks about us being in the world. Uh, but not subject to the evil of that world. And that evil of the world is this thing that is full of labors that they translate into grievous in this one place in Revelation. Grievous sore. The 
fact is is that bondage is a great sore upon our person. It is a great affliction. It uh, it haunts us. It it causes us an infectious uh, and will actually infect us with anger and resentment. And it's very important that we be free of that, and we cannot be free of that unless we wish to free others of that. So anyway, the point is is that the loss of liberty is a great sore to the soul of mankind. In number 15, we see a minister of trust. That would be the minister whom you gave the offering, the stone of the altar to whom you gave your offering, shall make every reasonable effort to comply with specific or general requests concerning the direction of a contribution as long as they are in conformance with the, with receiving, preserving, and propagating his doctrines, meaning that's a capital H is, so they're referring to Christ's doctrines and ordinances. And with this in mind, a minister of trust does have final discretion in the distribution of funds because they're given up entirely. They are burnt offerings. Again, that same precept, they're repeated in each of these little notes, these 20 little guidelines. You have to consistently repeat those same precepts over and over again. Otherwise, you're, you stray from the path. And that's very important to understand that you cannot say, well, uh, oh, yeah, Christ said to love thy neighbor, but it's okay to force him to contribute to your welfare because that's what governments do. Well, that's what some governments do. America didn't do that for 100 years or more. It was a republic. You were free from things public. Government didn't pretend to get into the charity business. I say pretend because governments that exercise authority are not in the charity business. They're in the redistribution of wealth business. And as I said, I quoted it last night speaking to some gentlemen from Australia because it was an Australian quote where he says... Uh, and, and you've heard me say it before, that charity is good, socialism is evil. Well, charity, uh, you know, it strengthens the poor, it helps the poor. Uh, socialism makes the poor helpless. And that's Sodom and Gomorrah's sin. In a time of affluence, they did not strengthen the poor, they actually weakened the poor. And that's what we do today. We've become weak because we haven't had to depend upon one another. We've only depended upon this group of men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. Contrary to what Christ said, we're not taking his advice. So therefore, we must not believe in him. We're certainly not doers of the word. A minister of trust is to keep records and make those records available to all other ministers of trust and the protector of the trust upon demand shall and shall inform the elders of the congregation of the work he is doing in the distribution of funds and the property upon request. This is item number 16, very important. It's in the basic guidelines. It's repeated again in the administrative guidelines that are helping you understand how this all works. But he must keep records. Why must he keep records? And who said he must keep records? Well, it's in the Old Testament. It's clearly in the New Testament. It's clearly in the history surrounding the early church. They held property. They marked out the corners and the boundaries of those properties. It tells you in the Old Testament to make your corner markers clear. You know, this is us. I am this minister of these people. And I also keep records. This is uh, Joe and Ellen who are married, and these are their children. These are records. Keeping track of who gets what and where what goes, that's very important. Church has kept records from the beginning. Marriage records, birth records, death records. They identified each other. If you read the book Higher Liberty, we talk about the logos, the word. That word logos was used to describe a piece of paper carried by Christians so that they could travel through the streets 
unmolested. Read the book, Higher Liberty. It's available for free on the network. If you join the Living Network and pick a contact minister to bring you in touch with others. If you don't want to pick a contact minister, you don't have to, but it's evidence for us that you're not really reaching out to one another. You just want answers for yourself. You don't care about others. We want to see that you care about others because we know if you care about others, you will bear fruit. If you don't care about others, we're, we're okay with that. But don't expect us to show you the way. Don't come and try to spy out our liberty and not be a part of what we are doing. Number 17, the protector may terminate a minister for breach of trust, refusing or failing to produce records in a timely fashion, moral turpitude, or any other reason in accordance with his God-given conscience and the doctrines of the beneficiary. Does that mean he can terminate him as a minister of God? No. You, once you understand how the protector, who is the overseer of that trust, works, you recognize him, he recognizes you. Now by that witness and the witness of them who contributed to you, we create the church. By two or more witnesses, we establish everything. If he... If that overseer believes you are not being a minister of Christ, he can withdraw recognition. He doesn't touch you. He doesn't kick in your door. He doesn't put your arm behind your back and twist it. He doesn't go get a whip and beat you. He actually could go get a little string whip and lay it across your shoulder and say, you're fired. I no longer recognize you as a minister. Now, the people who are contributing to you, they can keep you. Uh, portions of the network could say, well, we think you, the overseer did wrong. We like this guy. We're going to keep him. You can do that because it's about liberty. It's about freedom. It's about choice. But it's also a choice of the overseer to say, you're not keeping records. I withdraw recognition. It's right there in the basic guidelines. And we use these guidelines for all commissions. We use it for all churches and congregations because they repeat the precepts of Christ. Christ could fire the money changers with his string whip. You're fired, you're fired, you're fired, you're fired. But he could not appoint new ones without infringing upon the rights of the people. The people had to elect new porters of the temple because these, these money changers were the porters of the temple. They were making a lot of money on being money changers, but they were porters of the temple, the gatekeepers of the temple. In other words, they received the offerings that came in. This was the way it was since David. Go read what David says about the porters of the temple and the power of David as king to withdraw recognition. So when would they elect the new one? Pentecost. So why do you see thousands of people becoming Christians? They were electing new porters of the temple for themselves through the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And these were the people that were going to oversee and handle the social welfare system of their government based on faith, hope, and charity. And the apostles would go from house to house rightly dividing not only the word but the bread to the needy without all this graft and corruption and abuse. It was a different kind of government based on faith, hope, and charity. But it requires that there is this constant, everyday choice of recognition. You can't just sign something one time and then it's all done. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's in the moment. It's in the now. Number 18, a minister of trust, which is a minister of God, may appeal termination to another assigned protector of uh, his church trust and then to his holy church with members of the congregation as witness. Most people don't understand that the Levites were a court system too. They set up the cities of refuge, which was really just a, a, a system of appeals. If you committed a crime and you were going to be punished for it, you couldn't just run to this other little city of refuge and then you get there and now they can't touch you. All y'all are all sin free. You can't touch me because I made it to this city you were appealing to groups uh, all the way up to the high priest even 
for justice, just like you appeal up in state courts and federal courts for justice today. The Levites formed a system of appeals courts. And if they, if you appealed up to them and they said, wait, wait a minute, we see this trial, we see the record of this trial, and we don't think it's fair that this guy is found guilty. We don't think there was enough evidence, what, whatever it is. You can't punish him now because he made it to the city of refuge. And they just, they'll give you a document that, and you take that. And if anybody stops you and they say, okay, well, you were the guy that did this. I, I was there at the trial. Yeah, but I appealed to the Levites in the city of refuge. And they say, I am innocent. Or I have not yet been proven guilty is what they can say. They can acquit. You know, and that's important in society to have that alternative appeal. And this is what the cities of refuge were all about. And the church should have that through its system of ministers. And we that's what we're referring to there. Now, number 19, a minister of trust may tend his resignation for any reason, preferably with notice to other ministers of trust and his church altars and the protectors. But he has to make a record. He has to say, you know, I quit. So uh, I don't want to be this anymore. Can he take all the money that he's received and just go somewhere else with it? No. You know, it has to stay, you know, that was for the need of the church. So, you know, what do you do if there's no congregation to pick a new minister? Well, then you have to distribute those funds to the needy of, of society or to, to other churches that are in the business of doing that. And so this is to protect those offerings without exercising authority, but through a system of self-government. And this is one of the things that we, we will be talking about in the days to come is how that works. How did it work back then? 400 years they operated under this system in Israel. For almost a thousand years, there were churches all over Europe operating by this system, not exercising authority from the top down, but exercising responsibility from the bottom up. How else can you have liberty if you don't take back your responsibilities? You can't have your rights without your responsibilities. People who want to have their rights but don't want to accept responsibility are deluded and are deluding themselves and need to repent if they ever want to be free. They don't want to be free. There's lots of governments out there that will be glad to take care of them and compel them to make their offerings and beat them when they don't make enough. Now, you can't jump into the kingdom. You turn around and start seeking it. You may have obligations to Caesar for the time being. I don't know what you've done in the past. You, you have to fulfill those obligations because you must do this with an exceeding righteousness. No selfishness. We've been selfish too long. Number 20. If a particular sacred altar and its accounts can no longer be maintained or needs to be maintained, then... The altar is to be dissolved and the corpus of that altar be distributed amongst other stewardships of his church or to the poor at large or consecrated to the beneficiary of the altar himself. Now, basically that's what I just covered is that if, if a congregation dies out, if you don't have this system of overseers in place, the world will come and take that property in order to have that system of overseers. Now, we use this word overseer, and you have to be careful that you do not apply what was often called uh, the word that uh, episcopo, which is translated into bishop and overseer in the Bible is not the same as what we see often today as a bishop, the same as what we often see today as a church is not really the church that we see in the early first century, second century, third century, fourth century. Well, by the fourth century, we're starting to see this other church form, but the real church was still around. And it's very important that we understand 
that we need this system of recognition. I'll give you an example. A lot of people argue baptism of infants. They say, oh, there was no baptism of infants. Well, there's actual evidence now that there was some sort of christening of infants, both in the Old and the New Testament, uh, or at least in those periods of time. And why would you do that? Because how can that infant make the commitment of baptism, uh, you know, involving repentance? Well, that wasn't the purpose of that christening. So that's why we use the word christening rather than baptism sometimes. But they're interchangeable. They're both bathing and washing. It's simply to show that there is a change. They used to do the same kind of bathing before you got married. They used to do the same kind of bathing when you died. It's this washing up to show that there's a change of status. Okay, when a child was christened, there were sponsors, another family usually, sometimes a person from two different families, and they were the sponsors of the christening. We call them godfather and godmother today. Well, why were they there? And why were they keeping a record? If something happened to those parents, they were killed, they were imprisoned, they got lost, they got sick, they, they couldn't take care of their child anymore you had sponsors in place godfather godmother who could take over the rearing of that child and if you have this written out in a contractual way which is what we're doing with the creation of this church then if the world comes in and says okay well we will determine who gets custody of this child you can come in with your documentation parents have already said by their own will and test date by this baptismal moment and these witnesses and these sponsors, we know that it was their wish that this child go to these people. With that evidence, you can go into any court in any world and get that custody of the child moved to people of the same faith, of the same belief, the same understanding. And it's very important that we make those records. And that is why we created His Church Guidelines and, and the system that we use to create a church by two or four. So to learn more about this, we will be glad to teach you and show you how this works in the first century church. Until then, may peace be upon your house. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www dot his holy church dot net